Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Real Talk. I'm KC, and today we're talking about two things that I'm very passionate about, the queer community and education. And I'm passionate about them separately, um, but together, um, this is going to be an exciting conversation. So we know, and we've talked about on this show, that the rates of suicidality, depression are much higher for LGBTQ youth than their straight cisgender peers. We know queer youth experience bullying, face ostracism from their families, and a variety of social pressures, especially trans youth. And of course, when those intersect with other marginalized identities, this is even more true. So more than half of queer students feel unsafe at school. Uh, three quarters have experienced discrimination and nearly all are experiencing negative mental health effects uh, as a result of recent politics, you know, myself included, not as a youth, but as someone who's experiencing uh, the mental health impacts of the focus, uh, a lot of the anti-trans rhetoric that's circulating today. So my guests for this episode are part of a team that's creating a new school, the Proud Academy, proudly respecting our differences, that's mission is, and this is a quote, this is the mission, to provide a safe and affirming educational environment where each student can engage in a rigorous curriculum free from bullying, harassment, to support a diverse population inclusive of sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, race, religion, socioeconomic status, or disabilities, and to empower our learning community to recognize strength in their uniqueness. So this school will be the first of its kind in Connecticut and only the fourth of its kind in the nation. So joining me today to talk about the Proud Academy is founder and executive director, Patty Nicolari, and board member, Brandon Iovine, who is a graduate student and also runs the Sexuality and Gender Resource Center at Southern Connecticut State University. So welcome to both of you. Uh, thank you for being here. And as I'm describing, as I was reading the mission of the school, I was thinking, you know, this sounds like the promised land. I mean, this sounds like a utopia. And I wonder, let's start with you, Patty. Would you tell us, who are you? What's your story? What got you here? Um, tell us who you are. Thank you for having us, Casey. Truly appreciate that. So um, I am a member of the LGBTQ community, and I was an educator. And back in the day, um, it was not a safe space in the 80s and 90s. And I was harassed. I had Les scratched in my car, and I have uh, we have a dyke for a teacher. Mm. And I thought, hmm, I can't I can't come out because the environment is very unsafe. And so that's part of the journey that led me to where I am today. Mm. You know, I, you know, was a student in the eighties and nineties, and there was no one out in in my schools. There were rumors, like what you're talking about. There were rumors about teachers. Um, I'm sure they faced things that I don't even know. Um, I can't imagine, actually. But no one was out or visible or anything else. And the message was 100% like it's not a safe thing to do for students. Well, prior to 1991 in Connecticut, you could be fired just for being gay. Mm. So that clearly is not a safe right. place to come out. Oh, you know? absolutely. What did you teach? I taught health and phys ed. Mm. And then I became uh, an administrator. 
But um, I, I came out parallel to Ellen DeGeneres. Mm-hmm. So in 1997, my life totally changed. The trajectory led me to being on the board of Glisten, Connecticut for mm-hmm. five years, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. Uh, Kevin Jennings is the founder, an amazing person. And um, I ended up being a Stonewall speaker mm-hmm. and traveling the country, putting on workshops. And I thought, wow, what a difference from living in a place of fear Right. Of being caught being gay to empowering yourself to coming out because the, that, that takes away all the power of the bully. Mm. So when the student says, oh, we have a dyke for a teacher, I could say, well, how are you spelling that? Right. Because I want to make sure that you're spelling it properly. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then where does the bully go with that? Right. You know, because they, it, they realize, wow, she's pretty confident with who she is. Mm-hmm. And then that sends a message to the other students or sitting there in silence, maybe, because they can't disclose their sexual orientation, feeling good. Wow, she handled that well. Right. And I remember, I mean, I was born in 1981, so I guess when Ellen came out, I was 16, and I didn't have a sense. I I taped, it's on a VHS somewhere in my parents' basement, that episode. (laughs) I was like a closet archivist and queer person at the time, but I didn't. I really had a weird circuitous journey to figure out who I was because there was such a void. Um, and it's very confusing when you're like, okay, I know something's not right, but I'm not sure what, and I'm not sure in what way. Um, but I knew that that was a really significant moment somehow for me. I didn't know exactly in what way. And I thought I better save it, you know, secretly. I don't even know how I found out it was happening. Um, magazines, I guess. Well, um, that was a huge moment. Huge moment. So the LGBTQ uh, community went down to uh, the York pub uh-huh. on, on York Street. Yes. And we were standing there collectively mm. watching the TV episode of Ellen. And it was so exciting because it was a defining moment in the, right. the history. And a photographer walks in and announces her presence and said, covering the event, if you don't want your picture taken, let me know. And I'll respect you and not put you in the paper. Mm. So I thought after 15 years of running in fear and pretending to have a boyfriend and even put a picture on my desk of the handsome gay guy who was in yeah, my life, but sure. I pretended to be you know, the boyfriend because you have to throw curveballs. And um, so I ended up on the front page of the New Haven Register. Okay. So and you, that was my journey, but that was yeah. by choice. People thought I got caught being gay. Sure. No, that was by choice. And uh, right. life Closet changed to that front point. page. And then I walk into school that day. Yeah. And the students were like, Miss Nick, was that your picture on the front page of the paper? Good for you because my aunt is gay. Mm. And she thought it was great. I had another football player who said, Miss, my mother is gay and she thinks you're cute. Are you dating anybody? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so... That's powerful. That is powerful when a teacher represents something to so many people. Right. More of that. Right. And it's a good point that it's not necessarily just the students and their identities, but all the people in their lives. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So Brandon, and I want to talk more about sort of the genesis of the school in just a minute. Um, what is your story? Oh, dear. All right. Well, you know, like Patty had mentioned, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was dangerous to be out. Mm-hmm. And... You know, you expect like in the 21st century that things would be different. Mm. Not my experience. Of course, I know for a lot of queer folks in the modern day have um, drastically different experiences, you know, depending where you are geographically, especially in this country. Sure. But I grew up in uh, a very rural pocket of Connecticut Mm. where being out was 
also pretty dangerous. And like, you know, you had mentioned too, that there were rumors and speculations and I tend to be um, a pretty effeminate person and my identity is, and the way I express myself has nothing really to do with the fact that I am a gay person, but you know, I just am who I am, but that makes people talk. Right. So my high school experience was riddled with just constant ridicule, like on a, on a regular basis where mm. I got to the point where I even had like a, a group of supportive friends and a, an outlet through, you know, performing in theater, but I was constantly running away from myself and pretending to be other people on stage and right. pretending oh. to be a different person, you know, hmm. in social, in social groups and, you know, overcompensating for an identity that I wasn't ready to fully accept. And when I came out as gay in January of my senior year of high school, so we're not talking that long ago, right? Um, that kind of ignited some, some people to be like, all right, I'm going to be a little bit more bold about how I'm going to go after this person. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. And I had a class, you know, with uh, several students who had threatened to beat me up and hang me in the parking lot. Wow. Yeah. So heavy stuff. Sorry about that. But, you know, this is a reality for a sure. lot of queer people. And I'm grateful to have a very supportive family. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of young queer people do not have that. Right. And, um, you know, I, I consider it to be a privilege as a queer person with a supportive family. Like, I didn't have to fear coming right. out to family members. There's I've been met with contention sometimes. But, sure. you know, my story really is defined by that duality of having a really supportive, like, household in the sense of supporting my identity and such. But then going to school and this is not a safe place for me. Mm -hmm. And I would fight tooth and nail you know, with administrators to encourage them to uh, like put safe space stickers on windows of classroom doors or to include like an inclusive curriculum in health and sex ed and, you know, mention even a portion of the Stonewall riots and civil rights courses. But I was told that we can't push an agenda. Mm. And I've been met with that challenge constantly. So when I came to Southern, I was like, pretty much defeated at that point. I was like, well, whatever, I'll just put my head down. No one wants to hear what I have to say anyways. I'll just get this education and go. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to do. And, right. um, which was a total lie because I love to continue to challenge and rock the boat. Right, yeah. So I, I did the exact opposite and, you know, that led me to where I am now of being the graduate intern of our sexuality and gender equality center which has opened up even more horizons for me to explore. Like, just recently, I came out as genderqueer, going by he, they pronouns. So that's been an exciting development of kind of unearthing that part of my identity I've been suppressing. Yeah. So, you know, my journey isn't over. I think it's really just kind of evolving. Like, I'm really kind of turning over a, a, a different leaf, a new leaf. Mm. And I think what we're doing with Proud Academy is exactly what I wanted to do back home in my school district. And... Now I don't have to, you know, meet, be met with all of that contention and, you know, all of that uh, hatred and bigotry. Like, this is definitely the next step and evolution of what education is supposed to be. So let's talk about the school. Um, how long, I mean, I'm sure that this has been in the works for many years. Um, but what is the, what's the vision of the school? Um, where is it going to be? How did you two meet? Who else is on the board? Mm -hmm. You know, paint us a picture of, of um, 
what this school is going to look like? Well, Proud Academy, Inc. is a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and we were actually just established in June of 21 as an incorporated nonprofit, and we just got our tax-exempt status in August of 22. So we are on a roll and fast-forward moving ahead. Ideally, we should be opening in September of 24, but we're getting so many requests from parents who have transgender non-binary students. Yeah who need a safe and affirming place. Right. We have families who have left Texas and landed in Connecticut, like the Shapley family, Kai Shapley, an 11-year-old transgender. They moved to Connecticut? They moved to New Haven, Connecticut. Oh, they moved to New Haven. Yes. Side note, actually a keynote speaker at our Southern event, uh, January 26th. So um, that'll be a full house of speakers. Yes. And um, so... Proud Academy, proudly respecting our unique differences, is something people are embracing. And we hope to open on September 5th of 23. That's our target. Yep. We have a spot in New Haven that we're looking at. We're reviewing the lease options now. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we partnered with SCSU, and President Joe Bertolino is just amazingly supportive of this idea. And uh, I thank Brandon for helping facilitate all of this. And. Uh, yeah, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, it's clear, like, having an enclave where you basically have, a like, at least some of the students, I'm sure not all eventually, but are sort of refugees. They are coming. I mean, you actually have people coming. It's, it's true. I mean, that really is, I, I, I've said this multiple times, and I think it's worth saying again that Proud Academy really is a solution to many life or death situations, and yeah. especially right now. I mean, after midterm elections in this country, things are not looking necessarily too hot in some places. And there is a lot of people who have been emboldened with anti-LGBT rhetoric, and that is trickling down into state legislatures, and it's just messy across the country. Like, Connecticut is historically a safe place, Mm -hmm. and we felt that, you know, this is definitely a, a place where we can at least be supported statewide, by uh, politicians and legislators. But yeah, I mean, there are genuinely like, it's a refugee problem of like people being uprooted from their lives and having to flee to other parts of the country. That should not be the reality that we're in. Like we shouldn't need Proud Academy, but we do. And that's why we're, you know, have that ambitious goal. Like we are pedal to the metal. And we're not playing around, and it's uh, it's really exciting to see that. And um, I know you mentioned how Patty and I met, and I just have to say it was the most funny thing. Yeah, do tell. Oh, my God. So, um, like I had said, I have a supportive family. And my dad's mom, my grandmother, she was one of the ones that was like, I don't know. How can he know, you know? I came out to her on my graduation cap um, senior year of high school, like graduating there. And she, like, leaned over, and she goes, Oh, well, you know, how does he know? So, you know, and of course not putting grandma on blast here because she is now one of my biggest supporters, but, you know, takes some time to to encourage family to kind of, this is the reality. I'm not any different than I was, but now you just know who I am authentically. And my grandmother is a nonstop worker. So she's a realtor and she loves talking. And um, just one day was you know, showing a condo and Patty's yeah. condominium complex <laughs> and the two of them pass by in their cars. And 
I guess, you know, they got chatting. My grandmother's like, Patty, what are you up to? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm opening a school for LGBT people. And my grandmother's like, oh, my God, my grandson's gay. And just like, of course. Classic. Cla- oh, yeah. And uh, I get a call from my grandmother. She's like, I, I have to tell you, this thing that my friend Patty is doing is just phenomenal. And I was like, wow, that sounds like my dream and sometimes i mean you could have been like okay grandma yeah at first i was like okay whatever i didn't really put too much stock in it because i was like all right we'll we'll see where it like, goes here's this that. other gay person i met yeah it's like i'm like oh yeah you know all the gay people we all know each other actually most of us do yeah no it's it's true um did you get the email earlier yeah, yeah. it's like you know that's kind of like the assumption and it, it was just funny so then got in touch with Patty and kind of told her my story and, you know, my, not to, not to toot my own horn, but I got a pretty good resume for my age. And like, I am a really passionate person about this stuff. And Patty was like, you're hired. <laughs> so that's kind of where we went with that. And if I may add to this. <laughs> so Brandon is clearly the youngest person on our board at 22 mm-hmm. because, um, uh, we have mainly people who are like 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s right. who are doing this work. Gay, straight, black, white, trans, you know, the whole mix. But the first time I met Brandon, he comes to like an informal meet and greet meeting. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting around my counter. Now, he's with people like attorney John Rose, who was on our board. And John's daughter is Anika Noni Rose from mm. Dreamgirls. Um, uh, and Princess Tiana and Princess and the Frog. Just oh, have wow. to say, so cool. E- exactly. And, you know, a doctor at Cornell Hill Health sitting there. I mean, people with really impressive resumes because mm. they've been on this earth longer. And Brandon sat up with all the confidence in the world and sharing his words of wisdom. When we left, everybody said, more of Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been on this earth before because too wise at yes. 22 years old to, to nobody knows. And how important to have an intergenerational effort too, because, you know, it's going to school now is different than, than it was before. Right. And yet, you know, there's such value in, in expertise and experience. And um, there's like a, there's a thing in education, especially in higher education, where there tends to be. Um, sort of a front that this is, you know, we're all in this together, like students are part of the conversation, but mm. it's not always really like that. Like and you might be in the room, but maybe you don't yeah, have a say. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't listen to you. It, it, no, it's true. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I you know, you. I I was on the student government here at Southern, and, you know, it, that alone is like a, a challenge to be heard by, you know, educators who are passionate about what they do and passionate about their pedagogy. And, you know, they come from a, a a variety of unique backgrounds of experience and you know ageism is a huge issue and for queer people and queer youth we are the voices that need to be heard the most especially you know even queer youth of color like there are so many intersectional marginalized populations that you know this university serves other educational institutions serve and across public school districts across the country and oftentimes those are the voices that are silenced continuously and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on the board of directors for Proud Academy because ageism is something that I'm very passionate about because I constantly always feel like I've got to, you know, prove myself in every room that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I've experienced being in a room where people valued what I had to say because that's where passion gets you. And that's where being authentic and living true to yourself gets you. So I always advocate for, you know, with working with Proud Academy that, you know, we have to hear from 
youth first and foremost because sure. they know best. It's true. Like it doesn't matter how young or old you are within that, you know, educational like age bracket. Kids know what's best for them, regardless of what people might tell you. And, um, you know, of course, keeping parents in the loop too, like we want to educate families as well, but the, the youth is who we really need to be focusing on. So if I may piggyback off of that, so because youth voices matter, we are actually having gay-straight alliances and sexuality and gender alliances in the public schools um, give input into developing not only our curriculum, but our school culture and the code of conduct and our, um, you know, discipline policy and all of that. Their feedback matters. And I actually, I don't know anything about the other... So there are three other schools mm-hmm. in the nation, right? Well, actually, I, no. I just found out that there's or, another one. Oh. Yes, because we just formed a partnership. What prompted this is I got an email from People Magazine wanting to do a feature story on, on the concept that, wow, there are only four schools like this in the nation. And he was so impressed with that. I thought, let me do more research And I dug deeper and found another one. Hmm. So we formed a national partnership. All five of us agreed to move forward and start what's called a rainbow book, kind of like a survival guide for LGBTQ youth and families, Hmm. comparable to the green book. And um, those schools are the Harvey Milk High School in New York, which started in 1985 under the Hedrick Martin Institute. 1985? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. They were, of course, it's either New York or California who set the yes. tone. Yes, <laughs> certainly. And then the Alliance of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm. they're on board. And then Magic City Acceptance Academy in, of all places, Alabama. Mm. Michael Wilson is amazing, is the founding principal. And he said, you know what? I'm doing this even in Alabama. And right. Casey, they doubled their enrollment in year two. They just opened. I'm sure they did. They just opened in 21. Oh wow! And in 22, they doubled their enrollment. They're outpacing their building already. They now need to add on. Wow. So if that's happening in Alabama, we can imagine what will happen in Connecticut. And so the other one is the Albert Einstein Academy in Ohio. I just did a Zoom yesterday with the amazing principal, and um, she was thanking us for finding them because mm. so eager to be a part of a partnership. Right. Because, as Brandon said, in this political climate, which can be hostile to LGBTQ youth, we are going to stand up and stand strong and, you know, united we stand, divided we fall, that old song. Yeah. But it's true. You know, uh, it also has me think about, you know, the the comment about Alabama, also Ohio. Um thinking about Connecticut, because when I was looking for jobs, I came from Madison, Wisconsin, from grad school to, to New Haven. And I mean, there are many states that I wouldn't even consider moving to because of, it would make my daily life uh, difficult, if not nearly impossible. Right. And Connecticut statewide is one of the best places for trans people when it comes to healthcare, legal protections, all of that. That said, it's not a uniform place. And I think so often we talk about like, here are sort of like state report cards. Um, mm-hmm. Here's where you don't want to go. Here's where you do. And those, those, you know, obviously federal would be the best, um, but state protections really do matter. I mean, I have healthcare, trans healthcare coverage as a employee here. Um, 
that said, there's obviously pockets that uh, it, we can't just say like this whole state, even a small state like Connecticut is good and this one is bad. I mean, yeah, I think you can't, we oversimplify. You can't look at it like, you know, what's a red or a blue state. You know, no. that's kind of like that dichotomous way of looking at the political climate in this country. And that's not the case. It's much more complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you, I, I you know, I, I always look at these maps. It's like land doesn't vote. And you mm. see like these large urban pockets of folks that are voting in a, in a progressive way that is like, in, you know, lifting up people of color and LGBTQ <clears throat> people. And like, that's what I think you need to pay attention to when anywhere you need to go as far as finding a safe place. And in Connecticut in particular, like New Haven is truly the best place for Proud Academy because yeah. it is, you know, such a supportive place, especially with healthcare too. I mean, yes, you have places really like APNH and Anchor Health. It's just a phenomenal place for queer people to be. And not to say like every place is imperfect and there's always ways to improve. And I think having Proud Academy be a pillar of support in New Haven is going to make Connecticut an even more desirable place for LGBTQ people to find a place to be. And not even just youth, like you had said, like mm-hmm. even finding jobs. Oh, absolutely. Like Proud Academy is going just to Just be, being able to go to a doctor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Patty's got a stack of reg- resumes from people across the country. Oh, I, that's what's going to be one question. Yeah. Where are you looking for teachers and staff? They're and- finding us. Yeah, they are. We haven't even advertised yet. And I have mm-hmm. a woman who is moving here from Colorado because her husband got a job at Yale. She's a teacher and they have a trans child. And so she not only wants to teach at Proud Academy, but also wants to send her her own child there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Shapley family moved here from uh, Texas because we are a safe harbor. So they had a choice of here or California. California is too expensive, so they landed here. So um, there are laws on the book. And for educators, a lot of people don't know that Connecticut General Statutes 10-145D-400A of the Code of Professional Responsibility for Teachers says that each teacher shall nourish in their students lifelong compassion for not only themselves, but respect for others regarding sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm. And when you ask teachers that, they're like, oh, I don't know about that. Mm. So like we could have laws on the book but people don't know about them. So right. what's actually happening in practice? Right. People, yeah. people, I think, want to do the right thing. Sure. So it's just about involving more education. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, uh, Brandon, you were talking about this, um, about how you're dealing with, with bullying, harassment in school, but you're coming home to a safe, or you have like a sort of a safe haven at home. Then there are kids who are not accepted at home, but maybe they've found, whether it's in one person or... Um, a community people, maybe a safe haven in school. Right. And I mean, obviously one school or five schools is not going to solve a nationwide problem, but it can help to build collective power. But I'm thinking about those students who, I mean, like any student who's going to come to this school is already going to have supportive, a supportive family. Not even necessarily. Oh, okay. Say more. Yeah. That is something that we've actually discussed, you know. Of course, we, we've we already had families that have approached us who are supportive of their children and want to do what's best for them and what's right for them and what's going to, you know, foster their identity and also a positive, like, learning environment. But we're going to also have some ways to develop safeguards for students who are looking for 
um, those safe places when they don't have them at home. You know, long term, you know, we want to be able to develop some type of, you know, residential aspect of Proud Academy. Oh, interesting. It's constantly going to be evolving. Mm-hmm. So the first, you know, iteration of when we first open up, that will continue to change as we continue to open up the grades that we serve and continue to develop ways that we can support children and that may not be in safe households. And that's a challenge, right. especially, you know, in a place like Connecticut, you have um, Department of Children and Families and they take things very seriously. And it's a, it's a challenging thing to navigate. And of course, you know, I can't say, you know, in my own experience of like, how do we go about that? I know Patty has probably a little bit more experience in having those discussions on how we can support those children in complicated situations. Yes, absolutely. Um, 25 years ago, when when I ran support groups at the New Haven Pride Center, Mm -hmm. I ran one for closeted teachers and then another one for LGBTQ youth. Mm -hmm. And I mainly had the black and brown community of youth sitting there. Um, According to the Trevor Project, um, those who are homeless, 40% are in the LGBTQ family because they tell me that, you know, marginalized twice. Right. And the family does not take that well. So, Um, We are reaching out to the churches and saying, please, let's help our community of color. We need them to survive and thrive. That lifts everybody up. So we're working with that. Yeah, I wonder about the because I can imagine um, a student. I I almost I'm trying to imagine myself as a high schooler or middle schooler and and thinking, I just, it's really actually hard for me to imagine this even as a possibility. Yeah. I look back to myself in school. I'm like, I can't even, I, I almost can't get there. It's hard to visualize. I have a very similar experience. It's yeah, surreal. And you, and you recently were in school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, okay, so I'm thinking about the, um, and I'm sure that you will, if you haven't already, have conversations with families about this, but I can imagine a student who's like, I want to go to this school. And then their family saying, I don't know, or I, like, because of stigma. Well, uh, if I may interject. Please. So in conversations with the other uh, national schools, um, that's a question that I did ask. And Magic City Acceptance Academy has um, 45% of the students are in the LGBTQ family. The other 55% are are not. Mm. And the reason for that is People want to go there because their friends go there who are gay or they have two moms and this just they understand the family. Right. Or you get people who just want that smaller school environment and feel safer in it, whether you're gay, straight you know, or not. And mm-hmm. that's who we plan on getting. So that will open the doors for other non-LGBTQ students to say, that's for me. Yeah, it's a school for everybody. And that's what we really want to drive home to as we, you know, begin to do more community outreach is that, you know, this, of course, our our primary goal and mission is to create a safe space for queer students. That is ultimately what we're here to do. But Proud Academy, like I think Kai had mentioned, uh, Kai Shapley, in a, uh, the, a promotional film we've been working on that proud it's in the name you're going to be proud to be there regardless of who you are and i was actually really happy to kind of hear when kai said that because that's what we're here to do it doesn't matter how you identify it's just regardless of how you identify you will be provided with supported and empowered Hmm. 
And of course, one of the reasons we're going with private school versus yes, a, a public school mm-hmm. is um, we, we looked at uh, entertaining the thought of being a, a charter school. However, the last go around, there were seven schools that applied, only three were approved, and at that point, they still didn't receive funding. So the process would have been too long. And in addition to that, these other schools around the nation that are now part of the public school or charter school, you have to take every student. So you can't say no to a student. So one of these schools said to me the other day, you know, it's hard because even though people know it's a school where you have to be LGBTQ supportive, the allies need to, she had a parent who didn't want her child sitting next to a transgender student. And the principal said, I'm sorry, this is a school for all students and all are to be embraced. So it's not that we won't have conflict. It's how we handle that conflict. And, you know, using restorative justice and uh, educating the parents and having open and honest conversations about who we are and what we stand for. And it's important to develop that culture regarding discipline. I remember you said to me, well, how are you going to handle discipline? Don't you think there'll still be problems? Well, it's like, right, you have a group of human beings together. Yeah. Like how, I mean, if you have humans together, even if you try to create, like you set everything up to be as close to perfect as it can be, we're mm-hmm. still these messy humans. Um, how, like, what do you do? Can you create a bullying-free space? Like, really? That's Nirvana. And, um, you know, you're right. Human nature, there will be conflicts. And sure. Of course, they're and teenagers. There should be, there should be conflict. It's, you know? it's conflict resolution and yes. mediation and restorative justice. And we get to go in on the ground floor and develop that culture and set the tone. Many people who've already been in business for so long, and then they implement these practices. I was watching a video the other day. It took seven years to At change least. the culture. Yes. Where they have like zero suspensions and, and problems. And we have Kevin Jennings, who you know started Glisten, and he ended up at the Obama administration. Mm. And his title is the anti-bullying czar. <laughs> so he's written books on this, yeah. And he knows um, how, how to deal with with bullying. So we'll be proactive instead of reactive. And what's yeah. great too with the partnerships that we have with the other schools in the nation is that we're not reinventing the wheel, and we're taking a lot of advice from our partners and they've been so gracious in providing us with like a a blueprint Mm -hmm. and um, meaning that when we start with proud Academy, like Patty said, we're going in on the ground floor and we're, we're starting with a, with a clean slate that has been informed by the information that we get from our partner and sister schools. And I think that is going to be, what is going to create the culture that we want to see and conflict happens regardless. Sure. And I think it's a matter of moving away from that traditional disciplinary practices that have been in the public school system. That are shaming and exclusionary. You know, it's always a matter of like turns into victim blaming and it's just a really, the people feel defeated. Everyone feels bad. Yeah. And I, I'm very passionate about that because I've, brought to administrators, you know, pretty severe things that have been done to me. And it's always been, well, it's your problem. It's your fault for being that way. Mm. That's the, you know, subtle way of being told like, okay, yeah, this is because you identify a certain way. That's not going to happen with Pratt Academy. Wow. And on the other side, like if, if 
those students are then expelled and put on a whole different track in life, then you may feel the, the burden of that, you know, like where the resolution is not actually one that supports everyone. Yeah. It, you know, just suspending someone or yeah. kicking them out, yep. you know, there are going to be moments where we need to consider options. Sure. That, you know, you can't predict what's going to happen, yep. but you need to be able to have that restorative justice aspect and be able to help facilitate students in their development and cognitive development. You know, we're going to be serving as, you know, we continue to develop grades seven through 12. Those are the most formative years of a lot of right. youth lives. And that's where we can still help mold them into, you know, people that can help going to rewind that sentence. We can help mold them into people who are capable of conflict resolution. Yes. And, yes. you know, like you said, we're not going to be reactive. We're going to be proactive in those practices. And that's a life skill that transcends to sure. all of their relationships with their parents, with their significant others down the road. So they're not going to be quote unquote coddled snowflakes. No, exactly. none of, like <laughs> it's yeah, that's so funny. Cause like, that is like an attitude that I've been told by some of like, you know, my, you know, distant relatives of like, you know, it's just going to be a school for libs and all of that snowflake mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like, no, you know, we're going to treat people like human beings. And I think that's where people often get it wrong in, you know, educational institutions, just because they are young and they make mistakes does not mean you have to treat them like, like their kids. Mm -hmm. They are human beings and are capable of far more than we often give credit young people truly are capable of going through these like complex life situations yep. and conflict is usually at the forefront of those. And I, I mean, I think that that's true. I have a three and a half month old child. Mm -hmm. And also I think even starting in, from birth, I, I think actually we don't give enough credit to, to how complex their minds are and their capacities or yeah. all of us as, as young people, but even as young as babies, um, in terms of what what they're aware of, what they can adapt to. Exactly, human development is a very unique thing. Right, it's not like all of a sudden, oh, you're 24, okay, now you're a person. Yeah, you know? no, it, it does not work that way. Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking about how um, a lot of the misinformation and scare tactics around queer youth right now are that schools are indoctrinating kids or putting things onto them. But if you think about it, just like you said, middle school high school those are the some of the most formative those that's when i don't care if you're in school you're out of school you're figuring out who you are right at that age well if i may add i worked with uh, youth in a mentoring program and the department of children and families would make referrals for me to find a mentor for youth and i had to really tap into the lgbtq community because i was getting so many youth who had gender identity challenges, and they're eight, nine, and 10 years old. Mm. So now they're sitting in a foster home where the foster parents were giving it their best shot to create a safe and affirming environment. But I thought, these poor young people are in a home that may not understand them, and then they go to school where they're misunderstood. And that was the catalyst for really revisiting this whole idea and saying, no, this, this needs to change. And while young people like around that age, you know, people hear like eight, nine, 10 years old and kids are coming out as trans or gay, mm -hmm. like, well, you can't possibly know that you're too young. Yeah, they might be in their most formative years, but people, young people are capable of developing identity 
very early on. Yeah. And like I knew I was gay very young. So did most of my family. And um it, it was a matter of me coming to terms with that, but I can go back to second grade when I first was like having those feelings of like I am different than other people. I'm different than what I've grown up knowing what I was quote unquote supposed to yeah, exactly what I was supposed to be. So it's that whole indoctrination thing that those scare tactics you see of like, this is what, you know, schools and educators are doing to your children. No one made me gay. And besides, if I chose this, I'd be crazy. Right. Like, yeah. Like why would anybody choose to put themselves in a position where you are going to be a target? Like, I say that all the time. That's how I actually really got to some of my more stubborn family members of like, yeah, no, if I had the option, I wouldn't because we don't live in a safe environment in our country and just, you know, across the world. It's not a safe place for queer people, but we still exist and it's not by choice. And not to say I'm very proud of my identity, but, you know, there are parts of it that make it challenging. Absolutely. I mean, I think about... um like, what would it be like to go to school and you can actually, like, clear away a lot of that noise? The, like, how can I avoid this person in the hallway? Like, how can I deal with this teacher? Where do I, like, how do I go to the bathroom? You know, all that stuff. That takes up a lot of space in your mind. Yeah. If we take away that noise yeah. and students could now focus in on reading, writing, and arithmetic, the ripple effect of that is huge. Because just hit the pause button for a minute. We've all been victims of harassment. And, you know, imagine a life without that. No, it's huge. Right. And so, yeah, I guess, like, I'm just imagining. I'm always sort of, I guess, mentally on the defensive about things just as a, um, because I'm incorporating in all the classes that I teach conversations about gender identity and sexuality. I mean, I teach communication, so certainly it's relevant. But I'm always sort of coming up with defenses in case someone's like, well, how come we're always talking about this? Um, And so I just wonder, like, I I just imagine people saying, like, oh, is all of your curriculum going to be about gay stuff? No. (laughs) Ironically, (laughs) ironically. It's going to be all about algebra and history class. In the traditional um, courses that are taught, we don't even really teach black history. Right. You know, people don't even know about the Green Book until they saw the movie that came out. How is that not taught in school? Right. And there's no trace of LGBTQ history. Yes, we will have a component, uh, um, a course that's offered that educates our students about their own history. And um, we're partnering with Southern, who offers amazing courses in that field. And uh, our students will be allowed to take that course as well. Mm. It's about the climate that we're establishing. Yeah. It's about the, you know, school philosophy that we're building for students to come here and know that this is an environment where you can feel safe and affirmed, but doesn't mean that every course is going to be like, you know, gay math class. Like, that's not a thing, you know? Are you sure? I would, it. I, I would take gay math class, so I probably would have done far better. Like, gay geometry, I'm in. Rainbow English. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, you know, it's incorporating those, you know, there are two key components of you know, racial identities and queer identities and how those intersect and how those are often the most disenfranchised aspects of, you know, education and curriculums. We want to be able to insert that to the degree that it deserves to be learned about. You know, we focus a lot in public education on, 
you know, American history and completely a certain American history. Yeah, a, uh, an American history that fits, you know, what the popular voice wants you to know. And it's not Howard Zinn's version. It, it, right. Mm-hmm. It, it's really, we're seeing glimpses of what really is the authentic truth. And the authentic truth is that people of color exist, queer people exist, and are part of our history as a country, as a, as a species. This is a thing that exists, and we're going to incorporate that in the curriculum, but... Yeah, you know, when you're when you're going to science class, you're not, you know, making a gay potion in chemistry. Like that's just like, <laughs> you know, we know we're going to see that contention. Oh yeah, for of sure. Of course. And you know, but so far I have to say we've been really emboldened by a lot of people, um, you know. You're hearing more on the support side than Yeah. The, and uh, as we continue to develop, we'll, we'll we're prepared to, you know. Sure, the higher profile yeah. you get in any way. Like always I, I'm more. ready to go toe to toe if I need to go toe to toe, but mm-hmm. I I really am you know, surprised and comforted by the support that we've gotten so far. One, you know, another question I have is about affordability um, and making sure that this is available to people regardless of um, whether they can pay to attend a private school. Because, I mean, that is the the beautiful thing about the public education system is that we guarantee it for every child. So like every private school... Um, uh, it's a tuition sliding scale. There are some who are in the position to pay the full price of $30,000 and others who might have to pay $1,000. But we feel strongly, as every private school does, that somebody has to have some form of financial investment into uh, their education. And we will help fundraise and support students when we go out there actively searching for funds. Who wants to sponsor two youth from New Haven to attend Proud Academy? Mm-hmm. And they'll piff it. They'll pay in full their their scholarship to go. That is out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we are, you know, very grateful to have some founding donors already. And we're going to be having an event um, just in a couple of weeks, actually. And um, I have no doubt that there will be people out there who will sponsor tuition. You know, it's one of the things when... I first was introduced to the concept of Pratt Academy. I was like, oof, a private school, I don't know. Right. Because, you know, as in my life, I've not really been like a affluent person. I tend to be pretty broke as a college student. So that was one of my concerns. But as I've learned more about what we're doing and the work that's going into it, I, I'm really confident that financial barriers will exist for certain people, but we will help them navigate we'll that help because find a way. it's more important to help students get the education that they need. We will go through all the hoops we need to jump through leaps and bounds to make sure that we are serving the students that deserve to be served. I'm also thinking about, we, uh, I'm teaching a gender and communication class right now. And we were talking about, um, all of the intersections, specifically one week about gender and education, and, and the students talked about all the dress code stuff mm-hmm. that they dealt with. I'm just thinking about like, oh man, all these students, you know, most of whom do not identify as part of the community, they would f- find freedom from a lot of things that were repressive to them, especially like for dress code, female students um, being sent home um, being policed in terms of what they were wearing um, or having to wear something that they didn't identify with, you know, like you have to wear pants or you have to wear a skirt or you have to wear this polo shirt. Um, and I'm just thinking just, 
you know, in terms of a place where students can authentically be themselves, um, there's no guarantee that they're not going to be, there isn't going to be conflict, but conflict is part of life. And, and truly it is a life skill, Patty, like you say, that we, that shouldn't be a goal. I mean, you can try to create a, a bully free, bullying free climate, but honestly, experiencing conflict within the, the uh, confines of like a safe and affirming culture I think actually that's the best preparation for life. Com- conflict is a good thing. I like as long as you establish a peaceful discourse. You can disagree on things. I I honestly would welcome conflict because that's how people learn. But not all conflict means bullying and not all conflict is a bad thing. But what we will do if there is conflict that turns into harm being done is like that's when we'll step in and and do those restorative practices. And it's funny you mentioned dress code. I hadn't even had that occur to me yet, mm. but like going to college here at Southern, especially my gender expression is often through the way I dress and, um, I love the way I dress. So <laughs> I, I can't even imagine dressing like I do now in high school, in high school. Yeah. I mean, cool. Oh my God. That would have been life changing, but also like, would I have gotten through high school doing that? Probably not. Right. And, um, of I mean, course, proud Academy. Yeah, well, Proud Academy would be completely different. Not everybody's got, you know, can't come in with a, you know, sheer crop top. But, you know, mm-hmm. of course, you know, there's certain aspects of a dress code that exist for a reason. But we want to encourage students to express themselves regardless of how they identify. Right. We're developing the dress code as we speak. And oh, speaking to the other oh, schools, so you know, it's basically you know, nothing dangerous, you know, like spikes. Right. You know, and uh, nothing where it's too revealing of, of body parts mm-hmm. and um, nothing that's uh, offensive. Um, so um, if somebody wants to come in dressed as Lady Gaga, we're fine with that. Yeah, you know? slay. Just do like, your go math. Go for it. And, mm-hmm. and, um, do your math. <laughs> and one thing that we're also going to add, so I sat with the finance director yesterday, and she's like, Patty, why do you need a washer and a dryer in the oh. school? And I said, because the other schools have them. And we will have what Southern has in their SAGE program, which is a, um, a open closet. Door closet. Open door mm-hmm. closet. So when students come in and they want to switch to a different uh, article of clothing because they feel affirmed in our school but not at home, they can do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, And those clothes will need to be washed and dried at some point. Sure, sure, sure. And, and let me tell you, at the SAGE Center at Southern, the open door closet is absolutely life-changing. Mm-hmm. I have students that come in who are as soon as they step out of the state center, don't feel like they can be their authentic selves. And we're talking of vast, a uh, wide variety of gender identities. Um, you know, there was a trans student that came in who was like looking at the closet and was like, oh my God, I can, mm-hmm. all these clothes I can wear, put, put together this great outfit and was brought truly to tears about sure. how they were able to, and this is a college student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to start yeah. with, you know, if kids want to dress how they want to dress, we'll provide that. And I have no doubt they will be, you know, fueled by he- heaping piles of donations because yeah, that yeah. is going to be a really key resource. I know. Some of my clothes are in there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. But I do remember that. I remember, yeah. I mean, like, there's no law right now that, like, if you walk into a store, you know, there's, like, traditionally they have the men's side, the mm-hmm. women's side. Um some places are mixing that up, but usually, I mean, it's so stark. You know, they're often like in polar opposite sides of the store. Mm-hmm. But I remember viscerally like being probably, I don't know, 25, 6, 7, 8. I mean, so past college, 
walking into a store with my mom, probably the gap, something like that. And just being on one side, but like so wanting to go on the other side and, and just, or even if my mom were there, just, I remember that, that awareness of like, I feel like I really can't go on the side that I want to. And then, you know, are other people paying as much attention to you as, as you think? Probably not. Um, or as much as you are in your own head, but I can really, you know, there's this impression that our society is free and open in that way now, but it's really like, there's a lot of barriers for folks um, to finding out who they are, stepping into their mm-hmm. identities. It's so and, affirming you shared that story about walking into a store like that. Yeah. Not necessarily related to what we're talking about here today, but I just have to say that it's fantastic because sometimes I go into a Goodwill and I'm like shopping in the, in the women's section and I'm like looking I, over your shoulder. I'm like, who, who's watching me right now? Yeah, yeah. But then also I re- realize sometimes I kind of look like a woman with the way I dress already. So I'm incognito, yeah. <laughs> but it's like a thing that students experience outside of their homes. And, you know, when they walk into Proud Academy, we're, we're minimizing that noise. We're, we're going to try to sound like soundproof Proud Academy to the point where we're not having students being inundated with those thoughts of like, mm-hmm you know, who's looking at, the, looking at me this way? What can I do? Can I go to this bathroom? Like, we're going to try to reduce that noise as much as possible. We don't yeah. need code switching. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, when I worked with queer um, youth in Albuquerque, one thing that I noticed was, like, when we would come together for two hours every Friday night, um, it was cool to just see over time that different people, like, I'm thinking about trying on different clothes, but actually just, like, trying on different identities. And and some of them were there because they had gay parents, um, but they would be, you know, they'd identify one way for a few months and then, you know, many of them like spent years spending Friday nights with their friends, with all these people. And then eventually we're like, no, I'm, I'm straight. Yeah, okay. Fluidity. So, you know, what's interesting about this generation and uh, I opened my eyes when Celeste Lucene, um, who's co-founder of the Trevor Project said, Patty, this generation is completely different they are not about checking a box. Not binary. And when we mm-hmm. did a QR code survey, nobody identifies really as gay or lesbian anymore in this generation. Most are pansexual. The fluidity of that is really interesting because as a bisexual person, I felt I had to check a box. And I was with women for 28 years, but when I realized, oh gosh, I think I'm falling in love with a guy. Who am I now? Who am I? <laughs> Who am I? That's a whole That's shift a, of identity. A life crisis. You know? <laughs> of course, I did it backwards than everybody else. They started, right. you know. And um, But today, it wouldn't matter. It's like, okay, so if you're, you know, interested in a man this week and a woman next week, you know, it's the fluidity of that that's empowering. It is empowering. I've even learned that working at the State Center. I, you know, my queer identity was really informed by my upbringing in that rural area. Mm. And, you know, as I started... More traditional. Yeah, I started to step into that queer identity, but was also informed by, like, that traditional LGBT, like, you have to check a certain box and there would be identities that I hear of. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. But now it's like, right. I don't care. Like, right. I just don't care. And like, that is exactly how we, it doesn't look have to make sense to yeah. everybody. And that's what I say. Like, uh, um, you know, there's a, there's drag Queens. I follow that say it all the time. Like someone could be a trans mass lesbian and I'll be like, go off. Mm-hmm. Like that truly is like, who cares how somebody identifies as long. They're not doing any harm to you. They're living their authentic selves. And if it makes sense for them, that's great. And like I have students that have really kind of shown that to me. And I'm so 
happy that I've kind of opened my eyes more of being a better ally in the community Mm -hmm. as a part of the community of knowing that fluidity exists in a vast different words are hard today. Fluidity (laughs) exists in a, a variety of ways and you don't have to check those boxes. You can literally just do whatever you want. No box needs to be checked at Proud Academy. Hmm. And so it will not only be great for the students, but um, the, the teachers, teachers who yeah. will feel and staff so valued mm-hmm. and respected teaching there because Connecticut, we have the laws that protect us. However, I have a teacher who um, is interested in teaching at Proud Academy, even though she teaches in Connecticut, legally married to a woman, the principal did not want her sharing with her first grade students that two moms and two dads could get married. Right. Talk about feeling less than yes. when you're standing there legally married and you still can't say that. So we have a long right. way to go. Yeah. Uh, that's I was originally an education major when I came to Southern, but then I was like, I don't think I can be myself in the classroom. This is why I teach college and not high school. Uh, it, yeah. And that's a, that's a real thing. That's messed up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Proud Academy, it, you know, of course, our focus is about the students and uplifting students, but it's going to be a safe place for everybody that walks in those doors, and that is teachers and staff included. And I'm actually really excited about that because as I, you know, get my master's degree, I'll have, you know, just get a teaching certification. I'll have the credentials, you oh. know, and it's a place where I could feel safe teaching. Sure. And it's like this Proud Academy truly is a dream for, like, everybody. Mm. Well, I mean – You've inspired me. I'm on board. And, (laughs) you know, thing. I mean, I could keep talking to both of you all day. But um, thank you so much for talking more about your experiences, your stories, um, this vision of the Proud Academy that's coming into being. Um, And I would love to have uh, both of you back on with some students once the school is up and running and you can tell us how it's going. Very exciting. That would be wonderful. I'm in. Yes, Patty, Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you.